Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Time for Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, for the next hour here on this Wednesday evening on Sports Map Radio. And before we go any further, before you do anything else, make sure you go follow me on Instagram at Joe Sorallo. Follow me on Twitter at the Joe Sorallo. Engage with me in my takes. You'll get plenty of behind-the-scenes action that you will not get here for an hour a week that you get to spend with me. Plus. If you like bets, I give them out every day on my social media platform. So far, I've given out three bets here on SportsMap Radio, on Sorallo Sports Talk. All three have been winners. Gave out Jay Crowder over 9.5 points a couple weeks ago against the Pelicans. Last Friday night, gave out John Morant under 27.5. Grizz minus one. Both of those hit in the same episode. So make sure you go follow me on socials for behind-the-scenes content. I just can't fit into an hour here on this show. That hour, by the way, is the Believe Hour that you're listening to. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V. Check us out at Believe.com. It is the best network for professionals. We've got podcasts for every team, every sport, every category. If you're interested in it, if you love it, Believe probably has a podcast for it. So make sure you check us out at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V as I take you through the Believe Hour here on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk, and I can't wait for the hour we're going to spend together. My man, former New York Jet, current new host of SiriusXM's new show on Mad Dog Radio, I Am Athlete Tonight, Leger Doosable, will be joining the show. I know he's excited to talk about his Jets, his recent conversation with the man who was his favorite prospect in this year's draft class, Jermaine Johnson, who Of course, his Jets traded back into the first round to grab. We talked about that last week on my episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. Of course, that aired leading into rounds two and three of the NFL draft. We're going to get to the DeAndre Hopkins suspension, whether or not Hollywood Brown can fill the void left by one of the game's best wide receivers for the first six weeks of the season. What Hollywood Brown's absence in Baltimore means for the Ravens wide receiver room moving forward. But when we return, it's all John Morant. It's all this Grizzlies-Warriors series. I can't wait for hopefully the next five games if this one goes the distance. Stick with me, Joe Sorallo, on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Map Radio. All right, let's get to it. Joe Sorallo back here on Sorallo Sports Talk on the Believe Hour here on Sports Map Radio. I promised John Morant talk. I promised Grizzlies Warriors talk when we got back. We're going to get to that right after I remind you to go follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Joe Sorallo on Instagram at the Joe Sorallo on Twitter for takes you won't get here in the show once a week with me. Engage with me, debate with me. Plus, I give out bets every single day. Go make some money on me. I've been hot as hell lately. John Morant is not the most improved player in the NBA. I want to make that very clear. John Morant is a superstar. Him winning the most improved player award, that's an award meant for good players who turn great. John Morant is a star. 
He is not worthy of most improved player. He belongs in the most valuable player discussion. And this Memphis Grizzlies Golden State Warriors series is going to be, if it's not already, the most fun series of the postseason. I mean, this series has absolutely everything that you could ask for in a playoff basketball series. Offensive fireworks, physical play. You have a healthy, really interesting balance of no calls and also ejections. I mean, and by the way, teams who are on the wrong end of losing a player to an ejection happen to be 2-0 in this series so far. Look, I know that the Phoenix Suns, Dallas Mavericks are about to tip off in game two. I know, you know, we've got two really tough Eastern Conference series going on right now. This series, Memphis Golden State. I don't know if the winner of this series is going to even make the finals, let alone win it. But this series is where the fun is at. And I just mentioned those ejections. Two ejections so far in two games. One in each, of course, in this series. And after the game last night, Steve Kerr, who I have all the admiration and respect in the world for, Steve Kerr had the nerve to, in the post-game press conference, call Dylan Brooks dirty for his foul on Gary Payton. Now look, that foul on Payton Jr., I feel for the guy. You don't ever want to see that. It's upsetting now. You know, you don't know how this alters, forget just this season, you, you don't know how this alters the rest of that young man's career, right? That's a serious injury, a fractured shoulder. It's upsetting. It was a hard foul. And the irony in it, the part that really turns me off, is Steve Kerr calling someone out for a dirty play. Because, Steve, I love you. I respect the hell out of you. You coached Draymond Green. You've coached him for the better part of the past decade. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who makes dirty, reckless plays? Although I don't even know if you can call them reckless, because with Draymond, it feels like more often than not, they're premeditated and intentional. I mean, you want to talk about dirty? You want to call out the other team when you coach Draymond Green? Come on, Steve. You're better than that. And let's take it a step further. Forget just the fact that he coaches Draymond Green. You played with Dennis Rodman in Chicago. You played 80s, 90s basketball. You want to talk about physical play? You want to talk about dirty? You were on a Chicago Bulls team that was in the thick of it. I mean, Rodman, if the Bulls weren't winning games, Rodman was probably fighting someone right? So Steve Kerr to come out and and throw that shade at Memphis to not only do it in the post-game presser, but to do it, you know, during one of those coach interviews in and out of timeouts during the game. I mean, come on, man. Come on. It's you're you're not the guy uh, given who you've played with, given who you currently coach. Are you really the guy to go out there and and be calling a team, a player dirty? Uh, I mean, I just, I don't like that take from Steve Kerr. But I absolutely love everything that we saw, everything that we've been seeing from John Morant. I mean, game two, I'm sorry. The Grizzlies have had guys step up night in, night out, different guys, whether it's Brendan Clark or Desmond Bain. That game was all John Morant. He put that team on his back. Jaron Jackson Jr. shot 21% from the field and fouled out in crunch time with four minutes to go. Dylan Brooks just talked about it. He got ejected in the opening three minutes of the game. Desmond Bain, sharpshooter, had a hell of a season. Grizzlies don't lock up the two seed without him. Don't have all the success that they had in John Morant's absence this year without Desmond Bain. Don't forget, Morant missed, what, 20 games? More? Desmond Bain had five points. 
Uh, I mean, they had no help. Even Brennan Clark, who had a serviceable game off the bench, you know, 10 points, I believe seven rebounds. That's not a Brennan Clark game compared to what he's done this postseason. I mean, he was the ultimate neutralizer to Carl Anthony Towns in that first series. You can argue the Grizzlies don't win or at least don't win it in six if Clark doesn't have the series that he had against Minnesota. So compared to what he's been doing this postseason, he was a non-factor. It was all Ja Morant. 47 points. 18 of those 47 in the fourth quarter. Eight boards, eight assists in addition to that. I mean, considering what I just mentioned, the fact that his team did not have a lot on offense outside of him, the fact that he had eight assists, he was involved in almost damn near every scoring play that happened in game two. I mean, and to me, the most impressive part is not even just that fourth quarter where he went off for 18 points. Game was, of course, tied going into the fourth. It was a second quarter sequence where, I don't know if it was back-to-back plays or two out of three possessions, but Ja, on, on one play, the first play, just seemed to float, to absolutely soar through the paint for a two-handed slam in which, you know, his hang time seemed like it was more than an NFL punter had. And then on either the next sequence or two sequences later, he just showed us his pure athleticism with one of the most acrobatic spinning layups. I, I mean, this was probably the most impressive layup I've ever seen in my life. And who did he do it against? Two all-pro defenders, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Put Clay on skates and Draymond Green, the second man in there to provide some help defense, was absolutely helpless when Ja attacked the rim. I mean, this kid is such a force. He is not even 23 years old. He is such a force that he has shown time and time again he has the capability, whether it's through scoring or whether it's through the rest of his play and getting his guys involved, This young man can absolutely take over a playoff game against some of the world's best, against Carl Anthony Towns, against Steph Curry, against Klay Thompson, John Morant. This is why I said at the top of this segment, most improved players almost insulting to him because he is a superstar and he always has been of superstar making. Were the numbers there? Not to the extent that they've been this season, but for a first, second year guy, the numbers were there. The athleticism was there. It was clear. And, you know, I said coming out of his draft class, if I had the first pick, I wasn't taking Zion. I was taking John Morant. One of the better calls I've ever made. He right now is infinitely more valuable than Zion Williamson. And I mentioned that he's not even 23 years old. He joins two names, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant as the only players with two 45-plus point playoff games before their 23rd birthday. Talk about Hall of Fame, incredible, amazing company. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, John Morant, and the list. He is not your normal 22-year-old. And that, that's evident both on the court and off the court. I mean, did you watch his post-game interview with Shaquille O'Neal? He was straight-faced, 22-year-old, just single-handedly. And yes, for this game, you can say he single-handedly won his team a playoff game against Steph Curry, multiple-time MVP, multiple-time world champ. And he was straight-faced. He wasn't giggly. He wasn't excited. The moment is never too big for John Morant. And he talked about that game one loss. A nail-biter, neck-and-neck game, one-point defeat at home to start the series. He said he didn't sleep. That was a day game. Remember, over the weekend, that was a day game. He didn't sleep until 3, 4 in the morning that night. He was up all night. He wasn't going to let that happen again. And boy, he didn't let that happen again. I can't wait 
for the rest of this series. It's heading over to the Bay Area now, and Klay Thompson needs to step it up. Steph Curry had a good game. He's, of course, fresh off the injury. He's back in the postseason after missing a lot of time. Klay needs to step it up. Not only did he get cooked on defense numerous times in this game, but 12 points, 26% from the floor, 2 of 12 from 3. Clay, that ain't going to cut it. That ain't going to cut it. When we come back all over the DeAndre Hopkins suspension, plus we'll look at the Ravens wide receiver room and some draft stuff that we missed last week that happened from the second round and on. So stick with me, Joe Serralo, on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. You're listening to the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. Back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. You're listening to the Believe Hour here on this Wednesday evening on Sports Map Radio. Just took you through the John ja Morant game, game two between Memphis and Golden State. Let's switch gears to the king of sports media, the NFL, and this DeAndre Hopkins suspension. I mean, when this news broke, it was right before NFL Live, I was tuned in, and for the show to start with this at the top of the hour on Monday, my only reaction was, whoa. I mean, not only is DeAndre Hopkins a star, but by all accounts, I mean, seems like a great guy. Not that this makes him less than a great guy, but just was not expecting, of all people, him, one of the best wide receivers of the past decade in the NFL, to be the guy suspended the first six weeks of the 2022 NFL season for testing positive for PEDs. I mean, that was a shocker. And of course, you know, DeAndre and his camp come out and they're denying this and swearing up and down. They don't know how it got into his system. Regardless, I mean, you know, these things always get denied when they happen. They seldom get overturned. So what are Kyler Murray and the Cardinals going to do the first month and a half of the NFL season without Hopkins. Well, I'll tell you this. The Cardinals, the last two years, their MO has become they start out blazing hot and then they fizzle out come the end of the season. This suspension, while it's obviously not a good thing, Hopkins in recent years has struggled, especially this year, missed the final six games of this past season. He has struggled to stay on the field and healthy. This suspension might actually flip the script of Arizona being purely a first-half team, and it might give the Cardinals some rejuvenated, fresh, late life going into their postseason push this coming season. Because the Arizona Cardinals, you know, I talk about it anytime I talk about football in the upcoming NFL season, talk about how weak that NFC is, right? How up for grabs it is, how it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Los Angeles Rams, and everyone else. And that could make for some entertaining, unexpected contenders this season. You know, if Debo gets his wish and he's out of San Francisco, I don't see the 49ers contending, replicating what they did a year ago, right? A team like the Saints can come out of the woodwork. I don't think Green Bay is going to be a contender atop, you know, atop the conference. They still might very well be atop the division, but who knows if Minnesota comes out this year and puts on a show, right? Detroit, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Lions could be entertaining as hell. They've got a really intimidating offense all of a sudden. And if Jared Goff can utilize the weapons that Detroit's front office and Dan Campbell now have around him, well, the Lions might actually be something worth watching. So when you have an NFC that is this up for grabs, this wide open, when I'm talking about the Detroit Lions potentially being a fun-to-watch football team, that means the Arizona Cardinals have to 
contend. Now, what do they have to contend for? I'm not expecting them to come out of the conference victorious, but they have to make the playoffs. And for a change, they have to do something in the playoffs. Because let's look at the Arizona Cardinals past DeAndre Hopkins. They should be fine for those first six weeks. This is Kyler Murray's best, deepest arsenal of weapons that he's had in pro football. They just traded for Hollywood Brown. Now, it obviously makes you ask the question, shoot, did Arizona know this was coming? The suspension got announced Monday. The trade for Hollywood Brown was made on Thursday. Obviously, it was in the works prior. Did the Cardinals know D-Hop was going to be suspended and go out and get a guy who is a great wide receiver too and can be a serviceable wide receiver one in Hopkins' absence really makes you wonder. So you've got Hollywood Brown now who, of course, put up all sort of all-American uh, all record-setting numbers when he was a boomer sooner at Oklahoma with who else? Kyler Murray. Past Hollywood, A.J. Green, a guy who, you know, just like Hopkins, not so much in recent years, but for the better part of the past decade, was a top five, top six receiver in this league. Rondell Moore, a guy going into year two, a guy with great speed, a guy with great route running capabilities, good hands. I mean, Rondell Moore, he's going to be your wide receiver four when Hopkins gets back. I think he can certainly fill in as a wide receiver two or three, depending on AJ's role, in this offense without Hopkins. But let's look past the wide receiver position. Not even looking in the backfield, not even looking at running back, where, of course, James Conner just turned in in unbelievable season in terms of scoring production. I mean, the guy had, what, 15 touchdowns? In I don't even think he played all 17 games. I think it was 15 touchdowns in 15 or 16 games. That's unheard of. But look at what Kyler has at the tight end position. He has arguably a future Hall of Famer, a Super Bowl champion in Zach Ertz. Now look, Ertz is a seasoned veteran. His production did tick upwards last year after the trade to Arizona. But at his age, he's getting up there. You can only expect so much. Look what they just drafted. Trey McBride, the tight end out of Colorado State. Uh, I mean, let's give the kid his propers. I know he played Mountain West Conference football. I know he's a Colorado State guy. So not everyone saw him on their screens every Saturday. But my goodness, 90 receptions last season, over 1,100 receiving yards for the Colorado State Rams. That's over 30 receptions ahead of the next best tight end. Isaiah Likely at Coastal Carolina had 59. And that's over... 200 more yards. McBride had 1121, likely had 912. So that's what, 209 more yards than the second ranking tight end? 31 receptions, 209 more yards than the next man up. I mean, McBride, look, this was not the best, deepest tight end class, in my opinion. Likely can be good. He can definitely be good. I'm surprised he slipped down to the fourth round. I think his fit in this Ravens offense is going to be obviously mainly as a receiver more than a blocking tight end, and I think it's the right fit for him. Jeremy Ruckert, the kid the Jets got out of Ohio State, Long Island native, I think he can be something serviceable. But McBride is so head and shoulders above the other tight ends in this class that I wouldn't be surprised if by year's end, he's the tight end one in Arizona. No disrespect to Zach Ertz, but I just think McBride as a rookie, if not as a rookie, certainly as a sophomore, but as a rookie, I think he can prove to be the most dangerous tight end option the Cardinals have. So I just rattled off five guys that Kyler Murray can be throwing the ball to, not named DeAndre Hopkins, that can have this Cardinals team certainly at least four and two before D-Hop gets back. And look, he is now a veteran. Hopkins is on the wrong side of 30. This is a guy who you want to have fresh legs when he returns. And I think that 
if he can play, you know, what, an 11-game regular season, and then maybe when it's all said and done, maybe he plays 15 games if the Cardinals really get on a roll. The bottom line is the Arizona Cardinals need to win games, and because of the depth they've provided Kyler Murray, this suspension is not an excuse for this team underperforming. They had the best record in football for about two-thirds of last season, and were bounced wild card weekend. If they can't crack divisional weekend this season, especially in that wide open NFC, it's time for the Cliff Kingsbury experiment to be over and for the Arizona Cardinals to find a new coach. Now, I mentioned the Baltimore Ravens a few times, talking about Arizona there, the trade with Hollywood, drafting Isaiah Likely, the you know next best tight end according to receiving stats behind McBride in this draft class. The Ravens are the opposite of Kingsbury's Cardinals in terms of consistency, in terms of dipping off. Yes, I know Baltimore went from 8-3 and three to 8-9 and nine this season, but this season was the exception, not the rule, for the Baltimore Ravens, who have been an absolute model of consistency and nothing shy of that in the NFL for the past two decades. I mean, to go from Ozzie Newsome to Eric DaCosta, could you ask for any better? The Baltimore Ravens had... One of the best drafts out there. The Jets, to me, are my draft winner. We talked about round one last week, the three picks they had, the three picks that they nailed. But then the 36th pick, trading up in round two to go get Brees Hall to compliment Michael Carter in the backfield. I mean, the Jets, the Jets draft was just chef's kiss. The Ravens are right there with them. And you can bash the Hollywood Brown trade because of what it means to that Baltimore receiving core now. But look at the guys they added. Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum, said it about them both last week. Two guys that have, you know, that their draft position dropped because of the position that they play. Hamilton being a safety, Linderbaum being a center. But these are two guys that are the best at their respective position in this year's draft class. And I hate to say this about guys who haven't played a snap in the NFL yet, and obviously everything can change in the blink of an eye. These guys have Hall of Fame potential. These guys, you know, Linderbaum is going to be an all-pro center. And Kyle Hamilton, if you watch the game tape at Notre Dame, don't talk to me about his 40 time. Talk to me about his game tape. But then you look at what the Ravens did day two. I mean, grabbing David Ojabo, the edge rusher out of Michigan, this guy was going to be a top 20, maybe a top 15 pick before he tore his ACL at Michigan's Pro Day. Who, who did something like that recently? Jeffrey Simmons. The Tennessee Titans took a flyer on Simmons. They didn't wait till day two. They grabbed him day one, round one of the NFL draft a couple of years back knowing he'd have to redshirt, knowing with a torn ACL he'd miss his rookie season, or what was at least supposed to be his rookie season. And Jeffrey Simmons is now one of the most dominant defensive linemen in the National Football League. So the Ravens got their two first-round picks. I think they nailed them both. And then they took a guy who, despite having to redshirt this coming season, can be dominant, like I said, would have probably been drafted definitely higher than Linderbaum, maybe equal to higher than... Kyle Hamilton. That's pretty damn good value right there by DaCosta. Pretty damn good job by the Baltimore Ravens. But before we get to Leger Doosable in the next segment, the Ravens have to answer their major question marks at the wide receiver position. And there are a few names out there. T.Y. Hilton, maybe the best suited wide receiver on the market for this system. Julio Jones, a little up there in age, probably the best blocker of the four guys I'm going to name. And God knows if you're going to play wide receiver in Baltimore, you need to be a good blocker. They run the ball more than any team in football since Lamar Jackson took over. But I think they need two guys, right? Rashad Bateman, 500-yard receiver last year. Devin Duvernay, 270 yards. 
that's not a one-two punch. I think the Ravens need two guys. And I think if you bring Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, two college teammates, two former AFC North teammates, to Baltimore, they're going to terrorize the Cleveland Browns, of course, payback from OBJ and Jarvis. But I think that those two, paired with Lamar, is a match made in heaven, and that the Ravens will throw the ball more and will terrorize opponents this coming season. When we come back, my man Lije Doosable, former Jet, current host everywhere. Any channel you have, you're going to see Doosable on it. He's going to join us to talk more football. Stay tuned. Stay with me, Joe Serralo, here on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. You're tuned into the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. And joining the show next, he's a former New York Jet. I'm lucky enough to call him a good friend, but he is also the new host of I Am Athlete Tonight over on Mad Dog Radio. It's my man, Lee J. Doosable. Thanks so much for joining the show. Of course, Joe, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's great to talk to you. Congratulations on the new show, my man. You are killing it over on Sirius XM. Man, appreciate you, man. We have a great time. You know, as, as Joe said, um, I'm the new host of I Am Athlete Tonight on Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio Channel 82. So tune in daily, 7 to 9, Monday through Friday. That's 7 to 9 Eastern p.m. Um, me, Adam Pacman Jones, LaShawn Shady McCoy, Brandon Marshall, Antoine Walker, Omar Kelly, who is a renowned NFL columnist, also has been a beat writer for the Miami Dolphins for over 15 years. Uh, Auntie Chantel, who was uh, a part of the original WNBA the first year that they came into exception, does a lot of stuff on TikTok. She'll be on the show. Brandon Flowers, who played a lot of years in the NFL as a cornerback, will be on the show. So we try to keep it fresh, man. We try to rotate the co-guests. I am the one constant driving the ship, but it, it's fun, man, to be. It's just it's just like being in a locker room, Joe. So it, it's, it's easy. It's work, yeah, but like for us, it's fun, man, because we just have great conversations. And, and, you know, you mentioned that it's like being in the locker room. That's really the feel that you guys give off. And that's, I, I think, at least what makes the show so incredible in terms of its authenticity. Uh, you know, you had a great interview with Jermaine Johnson the other day. And before we dive into that interview itself, how happy were you, first of all, when your Jets, who I think won the draft easily when they took yep. Jermaine Johnson 26th? Man, um, elation is the <laughs> word that comes to mind, right? Because this is a guy that I've been high on for the longest, probably longer than any other analyst um, going back to before the senior bowl. I mean, I talked to a lot of talent evaluators. They had him as a like second, third round pick. And I was like, this guy's not getting out of the first round, right? And then after the senior bowl, where he put on a pass rush display, I was like, this guy might not make it out of the top 20, right? But, um, you know, a lot of talent evaluators had him as a top 10 prospect. And if you look at it as a whole, Joe, because people keep asking, why do you think Jermaine fell? Why do you think Jermaine fell? I just look at it as this, right? Uh, Trayvon Walker went one overall, which kind of threw the draft into a tailspin. But there were rumors heading up into the draft that that might happen. Mm -hmm. So Aiden Hutchinson obviously fell to number two. Kayvon Thibodeau went five. And I, honestly, for his skill set, I think he went to the best team with the Giants. Um, I know you're Giants. <laughs> um, Wink Martindale, right? He's going to blitz the house, play in and play out. He's going to want his corners to be on the island. I just think the less you ask Kayvon Thibodeau to do, the better. Um, one of his skill sets is getting off the ball and winning with speed and then speed to power. Those are the only two things he does on film. So um, his hand usage has to get a lot better. But in Wink Martindale's system, they're just going to ask him to get on the edge and go. So, I mean, actually, it's probably like a, a perfect marriage for him going to the Giants at the number five spot. 
And then if you look at it, it was a run on receivers, right? Chris Olave went, uh, Jamison Williams went, the Jets took Garrett Wilson. And then also Jahan Dotson, I believe, went at 16. And Traylon mm-hmm. Burks went at 23, if I'm not mistaken. Then Tyler Smith, the offensive lineman, went to the Cowboys from Tulsa. We saw Giant Zion Johnson go from Boston College interior offensive line. Trevor Penning went to the New Orleans Saints. So from pick five to 25, there was not another edge guy taken. So, I mean, to put that into perspective, teams felt like they needed to trade up to get receivers. And we're trying to, we're also seeing a little shift, right? Because usually edge was like, edge defender was always like the number one need on the team, right? Mm-hmm. Guys that can affect and get to the quarterback. Besides getting the quarterback, right, in the top five, getting an edge rusher who can affect the quarterback essentially was the big thing. Now it seems like guys are putting more precipice on getting young receivers, right? Because if you see what happened with Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, teams are willing to pay 25, upwards to $25 million more a year for receivers. So they're like, we'll just go get a younger version and mold them, right? And then we'll just repeat the cycle over and over again. So you saw guys trade up to get receivers. So I think people are like, why did he fall? Well, if you put it into perspective, nobody went before him on the edge from pick five to 25. Yeah, so he was he still the fourth one taken. Yeah, so did he essentially fall or did teams just have other needs, right? So I think you just look, take a look at that. I think the Jets, and just talking to Robert Sala, I talked to Robert like once a week, right? Mm-hmm. They honestly, you know, people always use this PR thing like, We've been trying to trade up for him since, no, they literally legitimately were trying to trade up for Jermaine Johnson from the pick 15 and on, right? They just couldn't get a package that a team was comfortable with to, to get him until they got to the 26th spot. So Jermaine Johnson to me is the perfect fit in this Robert Salah defense. So much is predicated off the defensive line, creating havoc. And the one thing Salah says a lot and his mantra is all gas, no breaks. And that's how Jermaine Johnson plays, right? Elite effort on film. You never have to worry about this guy playing with effort. To me, was the best edge defender against the run. And that's big because that's really struggled against the run last year. So I think he's going to be really good in that wide nine, you know, creating havoc over at tight ends. Tight ends aren't going to be able to block him one-on-one. And even on the open side, when tackles try to reach him, he just has heavy hands, Joe. And does a good job with his hands and using violence to, to get off blocks and get to running backs. Then as a pass rusher, He's grown so much since the beginning of the year when he first transferred to Florida State towards the end of the year. So as the year progressed, he got better and better with his hands, started throwing more, you know, pass rush moves. And then the senior bowl put on a pass rush display. So honestly, I was ecstatic, you know, when Jermaine went there. And I couldn't wait to get him, you know, on I Am Athlete tonight. And we actually had the first interview with him before he had his original press conference with the Jets. So it was dope to do that as well. He's not the only guy you had the first interview with after some big news dropped. If you're just joining us, it's former New York Jet, current host of I Am Athlete tonight, Lige Doosable, joining me here on Serralo Sports Talk. But Lige, you also had the first interview with Hollywood Brown, who, of course, shocked the world. He was traded. You know, we've been hearing about DK, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, all wanting out. Hollywood handled it the right way, kind of just, you know, went to his front office quietly, didn't make a big scene, a big stir on social media. He got his wish. He was sent to Arizona. How do you think, and especially now with the past couple of days, hearing that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended the first six weeks, how do you think Hollywood, Kyler, and the Cardinals are going to fare in Hopkins' absence? Yeah, this was such an interesting interview, right, Joe? Because we, we were the first to interview him since the trade before his press conference. And I actually wanted to ask him about that. Like, was this something... Because I saw it on the Ravens website, right? They said that, you know, Marquise Hollywood Brown asked for a trade, but we hadn't seen that on social media anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think he did a really good job of, you know, keeping that to himself, letting Lamar Jackson know, letting the team know, and they were able to work out a deal 
to get him sent essentially where he wanted to go, right? Back with his quarterback from college and Kyler Murray. They were both at the University of Oklahoma. But uh, during the interview, I definitely wanted to press him about that and ask him, not press him, but just ask him, like, you know, Marquise, we hadn't really seen any reports on, you know, you potentially asking for a trade yet. The Ravens, you know, put it up on their website that you essentially asked for a trade. So I was like, so it was, I'm asking you, was it you that went to them and asked for a trade? And he was, not only did he say yes, Joe, but I thought it was interesting that he said he's actually asked for it the last couple of years and it just yeah. didn't happen. Right. So this is a guy. And so I asked him, I was like, no, well, you're going to Arizona now. DeAndre Hopkins is there. And this is before the suspension and the PEDs uh, situation came out with DeAndre Hopkins. You know, he gets a, a high target share. Right. DeAndre Hopkins is going to get the ball a lot. Uh, was your issue in Baltimore? you know, not getting enough target shares. And he said, no, that was not it. He's like, you go back to my, my film in college. I never had a high target share, right? But they just knew how to use me, right? He was a big, you know, yards after catch guy, a big over-the-top guy. He might only had three or four receptions, but he would go for 120 to 130 yards. Yeah. So that that was his issue, right? He wasn't worried about the target share. It was just how he was used. And, and in Baltimore, is more so used as a decoy, right? Because of the speed element that he has, they would send him on goals and post routes. And I would have to hold that safety and then allow the Baltimore Ravens to run the ball more effectively. So he just wanted to go to a situation where he wasn't worried about his target share, which it might go, it most likely will go up now if DeAndre Hopkins is essentially suspended for the first six games. But he just wanted to go to a program where he, he was going to be used properly. And that was his big emphasis. And that's what he wanted to get across in that interview. And I definitely think, you know, I would hope at least that Cliff Kingsbury knows how to use him. I think Kyler, of course, will get the ball to him plenty. But now if you look at the Ravens, I mean, they had a phenomenal draft. You know, I said that the Jets were the winners. The Ravens are right there with them. Hey, three things are certain, Joe. Death, taxes, and the Ravens are going to have a good draft. <laughs> yes, sir. <I laughs> Every mean... <laughs> single year, they're going to have a good draft. That's just what they do. And it wasn't just Ozzie Newsome. I mean, the Newsome to DeCosta flow has just been absolutely seamless. It's, it's, you know, Baltimore is just the poster child for continuity when it comes to drafting in the NFL. But they do still have a glaring hole on their roster. And with the Hollywood Brown trade, it is that wide receiver room. So, you know, you've got four big names still out there in free agency, T.Y., Julio, Odell, and Juice. What's Baltimore going to do to fill out that receiver room? Because I don't believe that, you know, Devin Duvernay is a suitable number two. I mean, do they have an issue, though? I mean, the Baltimore Ravens have always been better when they've been in 12 and 13 personnel, Joe. Mm -hmm. They're going to run the ball. They know their identity and they're going to stick to it. And I think that's one of the reasons why Marquise Hollywood Brown wanted to leave. I believe Rashad Bateman slides in perfectly where Hollywood Brown is. I, I feel like he can do some of the similar things he was doing. And I think Duvernay can step up and be a viable number two. Now, they did sign, I believe, a lot of undrafted free agents. And that's normally what they do, right? They sign late. You know, they either pick late receivers besides the Bateman pick. They usually pick late receivers. And Hollywood Brown was the first-round pick as well, too. But they get guys like Duvernay late in, in the draft or they get undrafted free agents. And they're like the number like two or three or four receiver for them, right? And they play special teams. They're tough guys. Um, but, you know, you saw what they did in the draft. What did they do? They drafted two more tight ends. They got Nick Boyle coming back, and they have one of the best, if not best, tight end in the football from last year, you know, coming back as well. So this is a team that routinely goes – 13 personnel, which is three tight ends on the field, or 12 personnel. So, you know, Isaiah likely gives him a different skill set. He's more of an H-back, a guy that's more of a receiving threat. But Charlie Kolar from Iowa State is, is a really good inline blocker, and he can be a guy that can also stretch, you know, stretch teams down the, the seam. So Mark Andrews, to me, last year was the best tight end in football. He's coming yeah. back. 
Boyle comes back, right? He was injured and that was massive. I think him not being there wasn't talked about enough because he does so many different things for the Baltimore Ravens. So he comes back from injury and now you got, you know, Charlie Col- uh, Kolar at the tight end position and then Isaiah likely a move guy that you can move around and even split out. And you can maybe even go 13 personnel with having him stretch, stretch out as a receiver because he has that skill set. Mm-hmm. So that the Baltimore Ravens are never a team that's just going to throw the ball down the field a million times, right? They're going to run the ball, play action pass, you take their shots, but they're going to kill you down the seams with tight ends. And, you know, Lamar Jackson's going to get the ball in his hands quicker, but they're going to start first and foremost, we're running the ball. Hence why they took Tyler Lindenbaum in the first round. He just reminds me of a Raven, right? This is a guy <laughs> right? that's tough, rugged. It's going to play through the echo of the whistle. And then Daniel Falele, right? This is a guy from Minnesota, six foot eight, almost 380 pounds. Kind of reminds me of a guy they took a few years ago in Orlando Brown, and it panned out really well. A lot of people gave them gruff about taking Orlando Brown, I believe, in the third round because of the weight and everything. But he just fit perfectly in with the Ravens system. Moved over to left tackle. They end up getting franchise tagged and traded. And now he's franchise tagged with the Kansas City Chiefs and will probably get a big payday. So, yeah. The Ravens just know what they're doing. Like, they understand the type of player they want to bring in the building, right? And, you know, even with Kyle Hamilton, he kind of reminds me of a Raven, too, a guy that's multiple, that on, multiple on defense. They're going to love him. Uh, uh, new defensive coordinator Mike McDonald is going to have a field day moving him around as a chess piece on defense. And, you know, even getting David Ojabo in the second round. Like, this guy had first-round talent, you know, tears his Achilles, but that's a perfect pairing mate to, you know, um, Adolfo Oye. Uh, on the other side so like they just know how to draft man the Ravens just have the handbook on drafting players and drafting a specific player for their system yeah they're they're going to be great this year look people are too quick to forget this team was once eight and three last season they're going to be just fine their secondary was battered by injuries Nick Boyle was a huge shot obviously Lamar went down they had you know a revolving door of running backs they're going to be just fine Leger thank you so much for the time my man I appreciate you joining the show of course thanks for having me Former New York Jet, current host of I Am Athlete Tonight, Lijay Doosable. We'll be right back with my final word on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. All right, we're back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, wrapping this edition of the Believe Hour up here on Sports Map Radio with my final word. What a great spot right there with my man, Lijay Doosable. He makes my job so easy. I, I just, I don't have to talk. I toss him the question and then... This man provides the best insight and analysis because he knows a lot of these guys on a personal level, coaches, players, but then also with just how well he knows the game. Look, you don't go from undrafted free agent to a 10-year NFL career without being an absolute student of the game. Leger Doosable, just one of the best guys you'll meet in the football side of the business. Now, in each of the past two weeks, I have used my final word to give out a best bet, or in last week's case, two best bets, all three of it. So if you want my best bet for tonight's Phoenix Suns-Dallas Mavericks game, you're going to have to go over to my social media handles to get it. That's right. Follow me on Instagram at Joe Serralo. Follow me on Twitter at TheJoeSerralo. You could find my best bet. It's a player prop for tonight's Suns-Mavericks game right there. And let's see if we can go 4-0 in the Serralo Sports Talk Sports Map Radio era. But I do want to switch things up for my final word tonight and talk about Dusty Baker. The Houston Astros manager, of course, AL champ a year ago, winning his 2,000th game. 
just last night. And you know, this is one of the best managers in baseball history. And he has gotten the short end of the stick time after time from the fans, from the media. He has been overly criticized and all he's ever done is win. Of course, with the exception of the ultimate goal, winning the World Series. But this is a guy who has been to two World Series who during his tenure with Cincinnati won 90 games, made the playoffs three times, won the division twice. Cincinnati has not been to the playoffs in a normal year since. They made it during the COVID year. They were the seventh seed with the expanded playoffs. They have not been back in a normal year since Dusty left. With the Nationals, won 95-plus games in both of his seasons as Nationals skipper, got canned because he lost the NLDS in five games back-to-back years. He has constantly been undervalued underappreciated, but now he becomes the 12th manager, first black manager to win 2,000 games. And all I can say about Dusty Baker is that the next stop is Cooperstown. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Lige Doosable for joining the show. Guys, I'll see you next week right here on Sports Map Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.